0: And good morning church, such a joy to be able to worship with you and to see you all, to welcome many of you. Um, My name is Ryan, I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and if I haven't had a chance to meet you or um, I'd love an opportunity to do so, I'll be down front at the end of the service with a few of our other elders, so please um, just know it would be great, it would be a joy to be able to worship with you. As we were singing that last song, I shared this in the first service when, when Holly led us through that song in the first service. Um, my mind went to a picture that I have hanging on the wall in my office. Um, A friend gifted me with a painting um, that is called Saul's Conversion. And it's a picture of what we read last week from Acts chapter 9, the very first few verses of Acts chapter 9, where Saul was converted, where Saul was confronted by the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And he met Jesus and his life was completely changed. His life was turned upside down, but for the good news and for the hope of the gospel. And in that painting, if you ever come down, please, you're all welcome to come down and visit. Um, Maybe not today, but at some point, you're welcome to come uh, and uh, visit and uh, sit in my office. And you'll see that Paul is thrown off his horse. There's the horse that was carrying him. He's thrown off and he's laying on his back and his hands are raised. As we sing that song, it just was such a picture of, That picture was a picture of this song, which was, I have nothing. This is Saul, who was the Jew of Jews, a a Roman citizen, all these things about that we know and we learn through scripture about his life later, but he is laying on his back, completely prone and very vulnerable. And in that vulnerability, all he does is he lifts his hands to worship Jesus. Now, of course, that's an artist's vision of what it might've been like for Saul during that conversion, but it is a picture to me. This is the life that we live. People who have met Jesus. And as we sang, I hope there would be our collective prayer, that we want nothing and there's no power, there's no fame, there's, there's, no, there's no name for us, but it is simply, let us just lift our hands, let us worship the King of Kings, the one who is worthy of our praise, the only one who is worthy of our praise. And so often in life, The circumstances I found of life can tempt us and lead us to be uh, worshipers of things that are not worthy of our worship. Um, Small gods, lesser gods, things that are not God. But we make them gods in our own minds and our own hearts and we begin to worship them. And so I hope that even as we look at this text continuing in our study in the book of Acts, that we might become more faithful worshipers of Jesus alone As I think of that, I also, my mind went to our summit weekend, which is coming up here uh, at the fall, if you are at the beginning of the fall on August 18th through the 20th, if you're not familiar with City Church Summit, uh, I just want to encourage you to just circle that date. I've told you a few times to circle that date, but the theme of our summit this week or this year is Faithful Nobodies. It's just right in line with what we just sang. We want to be at this church faithful nobodies. We don't want to elevate our name. We don't want my name, City Church name, any, uh, any one of us. Our names are not what's important. You've heard me say our values. One of the values here at City Church is it's not about me. That's something that we live by. It's not about me. It's about him. And so if you're curious about what that would look like for you, how to live that out, how to be a part of this local church called City Church, and you want to be a faithful nobody with us, then come join us for Summit Weekend, August 18th through the 20th. My good friend, Jonathan Dotson, will be with us both Saturday evening and Sunday morning. You might not know Jonathan, but he wrote the book that I've given to many of you called Gospel-Centered Discipleship, and he'll be here to just um, encourage us and sort of fan the flame of our faith as we Strive to be faithful nobodies for the sake of Jesus' fame. So I hope you'll mark your calendars and just be a part of that. As I think about this, again, back to our conversion of Saul where we started or where we ended last week. In the middle of Acts chapter 9, we see Saul was converted. A man named Ananias, again, one of those figures in scripture that we don't know a lot about. One of those faithful nobodies who was used by God in a powerful way was sent to minister to Saul and to help him regain his strength. And it says at the end where we ended last week at the beginning or in 18 and then the beginning of verse 19 after his conversion after Ananias came and prayed over him he received the holy spirit immediately something like scale, scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food he was strengthened. Saul began to be strengthened and he would then begin his ministry no longer a ministry of killing Christ followers and persecuting Christ followers but he would begin his ministry of proclaiming Christ to anyone who would hear. This is where we pick up in our study in Acts chapter 9. If you're able would you please stand as I read our text today Acts chapter 9 the second half of verse 19 through 31. For some days He was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength, and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and now how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists but they were seeking to kill him and when the brothers learned this they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace peace and we was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your church. We thank you for the promise that you have given to us in Scripture that you would build your church and nothing could stand against it. We thank you that we are the recipients of that gift, your church, first your gospel, which has come into our hearts, and that you have drawn us together in this body called City Church. We thank you for what you've done in our midst. We pray Holy Spirit, that you would encourage us now to remain faithful, even in the face of circumstances. as We look at our brother Saul and we see how he was faithful to boldly proclaim, proclaim your name, even when circumstances would strive to get in his way. Help us to be faithful followers. And I do pray for anyone in this room who is far off from you, Lord Jesus, would they know that you are the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, the one who loves them, who laid your life down for them to redeem them so you might call them to yourself, that they might have joy in this life and for all eternity. I pray that that joy would fill us all, would infect this room and those who are far from you might be filled with it as well. We pray in Christ's mighty name, amen. And you can be seated. So Saul has been baptized, he's regained his strength And Luke picks up for us in the middle of verse 19, this story of him going to Damascus, into the synagogue to begin to preach. Now, I know we have many Bible scholars in the church. And so because of that, you are thinking to yourself, but Pastor Ryan, in the uh, book of Galatians, Paul talks about his conversion in chapter one. And he says he went off to the desert, to Arabia for three years. Why isn't that in here? And so I just want to give you some clarity around this because those things, sometimes when we see one thing in this book of the Bible and maybe something that seems or feels different in another text, it can cause us to have some confusion. But it is also a helpful reminder to us of what Luke wrote the book of Acts to communicate and to teach us. See, Paul does talk about in Galatians chapter one, verses 15 through 17, he talks about his conversion experience. And he says about his conversion experience that after regaining his strength, he went off to Arabia. But Luke doesn't record that for us. There's a reason for this. If you remember, as we began this study, we said that sometimes this book is referred to as the book of Acts. Sometimes you might see it in some of your Bibles, the Acts of the Apostles. I would say to you, I would encourage us to remember that this is the Acts of the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is at work building Christ's church. And the reason that Luke wrote this book, that the Holy Spirit inspired him to write this book, the reason that it's been preserved for us to study and to know it is so that we might be encouraged in the the work of the Holy Spirit to build the church. That is why we have the book of Acts in our Bibles. And so Luke, some believe, some scholars believe that perhaps he wasn't aware of Paul's sort of jaunt over into Arabia after his conversion. He just didn't know about that. Others presume that it is more in line with his purposes, that he doesn't talk about that one because he doesn't know all that, that Saul did in Arabia. But when he comes back to Damascus, that is when he begins his ministry of building the church. And it's to remind us that there is a purpose. Again, every book of the Bible and every word in our Bibles is true, is inspired, and has the authority to teach us. And what it is teaching us what Luke records for us and what we study in the book of Acts is, is that Jesus is building his church through his Holy Spirit. And so we don't have to be confused about that. Yes, Paul did go to Arabia for a season of time. But when he came back to Damascus, where we pick up in verse 19, is when he began to con- began this ministry of preaching the word. And so he goes to Arabia, he comes back, and it says that in those days, for some days, by the way, those, that some days is a number of years. He was there in Damascus, more than likely about three years. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. And what does he do? Immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is the son of God. The first thing that he does is he goes to the synagogue and he tells everyone what has happened to him. He tells everyone, he begins to proclaim to those who would hear what Jesus has done and who he is. He wants to tell them, do you remember when you first came to know Christ? I was one like some of you who came to know Jesus at a little bit of a later age. I was 18 years old. So I can vividly remember life before knowing Jesus and some of the pursuits of my heart and the things that sort of got my mind going. And then there's after I came to faith in Christ. And after I was converted, after I came to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I didn't have someone sadly that came like right alongside of me. And there was a few years of wandering in the desert, I'll just tell you. I didn't really start growing. There wasn't a lot of maturity that came immediately to me. I went to the Marine Corps to gain that. When I got out of the Marine Corps, I came to Dallas because Dallas was the promised land. Yeah. Dallas was where everybody wanted to be. My older brother who had led me to Christ lived here in Dallas. My grandparents who were extremely influential in my life lived here. And so I wanted to come to Dallas to be with them. And as soon as I came to Dallas, I got involved in a local church. I was baptized. And then I began to periodically reconnect with some old friends of mine from those college days, from before I began to walk with Jesus. And do you know what I tell every single one of them? They're like, where have you been why did you just disappear off the face? You went to the Marines and like, what? Why? They couldn't understand all that God was doing. And all I could tell them was, let me just tell you about what God has done in my life. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you who Jesus is. And they looked at me like I had three heads. I was zealous, I wish, I still uh, thankfully have some of that zeal, thankfully some of those things, even in learning that, have even God has used in equipping me to help me teach and preach the Bible, but I remember those days, and I know some of you remember those early days of your faith where you were so zealous for Christ, and this is Saul, he knows full well what Christ has done in his life, and he wants to tell every single one that he comes encounter with what Jesus has done. This is why he says, he wants to tell them he is the son of God. Now that is a significant statement to us. It's not just significant because it was Paul's testimony, but it is also a theological statement. See, Saul says he is the son of God. The son of God is not used to describe as a title for Jesus anywhere else in the book of Acts, except for in this verse where Saul says it. Jesus is referred to as many other things. He is referred to as the son of God in other places in the New Testament. It's pretty minimal But most of the time, if we look at the Gospels at least, we know that Jesus referred to himself more as the son of man more than anything else. Why did he refer to himself? His favorite title was son of man because he was connecting himself to Daniel's prophecy that the son of man would sit at the right hand of the father. He was telling them when he preached about himself and told about who he was that yes, I am a man. I am fully man, but I am fully God and I will one day be with the father in fulfillment of the prophecy that you all know. But here, Saul refers to him as the son of man. It's because Saul wants to tell these people that the Messiah that he had been denying, Jesus as the Christ, the son of God, he wants them to know that he is who he said he was. And he had come, yes, to persecute, but now he had been converted and fully believed this. We can know that this son of man was a connecting point to the Messiah by the way that Jesus was interrogated. Do you remember Matthew 26? I know you all are like, yeah, Matthew 26, verse 23, pastor. Matthew 26, verse 23. When Jesus is on trial for his life, before his crucifixion, those who confront him, this is what the high priest says. I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. Tell us if you are this person. If you're the son of God, the Messiah, they wanted to know If he believed that he was God, that he was the son of God, well, Saul has been converted and he's saying to them, yes, that Jesus whom you crucified, he was the son of God. He is the son of God. He is the Messiah that so many of you have missed. I expect that there's at least a few of you here this morning who've come here. You're curious about who Jesus is. That's why you're here. Some circumstances in your life have led you to wonder if Jesus has anything for you, if Jesus could love you enough, if if there's something that God might have to speak to you today. You came because a friend or a family member invited you to join, but you're unsure of who Jesus is. You're not sure that Jesus is maybe what you've heard about him, or maybe you haven't heard much about Jesus other than you know his name. Let me just testify to you along with I know many other saints in this room that Jesus is the son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the one, he is the only one that can take a shipwrecked train wreck like me and turn my life around and point me and to be used by him in any possible way. He's the only one that could take Saul, Saul who was ready to ravage the church and convert him and completely transform his life. He is that person. I've met this Jesus, not because I'm special by the way, but because of who he is. Because of his love, because of his grace, I know Jesus as God. I know the joy that he brings, not just in eternity. I'm not just waiting to die so I can enjoy all the good things of Jesus. I know Jesus today and I get to enjoy him today. At his right hand, Jesus says there are pleasures forevermore and he invites us into those joys and into those pleasures, not without trial as we're gonna see. There are circumstances that this life brings us that are hard, that are painful, that are challenging. Don't ever miss that. This is not some lie that everything's gonna be great and perfect. That's not what Jesus ever said. But what Jesus did say is with me, there is joy. Joy that outlasts those circumstances. This is the Jesus that Saul met on the road to Damascus. See, Saul had been sent by the high priest from Jerusalem to go to Damascus with the purpose of persecuting anyone who followed the way, anyone who followed this Jesus. And then he met the great high priest. The great high priest ripped him off his horse, showed himself to him, taught him about himself and completely turned his life around. That's what Jesus does. And that's why Saul came to the temple and he said, let me tell you that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. He is the son of God. And please, would you believe this morning, friend, if you're curious about who Jesus is, would you believe? I just implore you to believe that Jesus is the son of God. He is exactly who he says he is. And as I said, if I haven't had a chance to meet you before, I'd love to greet you even more than that. If you're curious about what it would mean to follow Jesus, to understand what he has done for you, please come down, come forward at the end of our service. I'd love to have that conversation with you. And so it says of Saul after, as he's preaching and boldly proclaiming Jesus, it says that he increased, in verse 22, he increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus. That increase in strength is not physically, he's not speaking of his physical strength. Well, I'm sure there was some of that as he's being restored. This is multiple years from his conversion. No, what he was growing stronger in, he was growing stronger in his conviction and his understanding of who Jesus is and what he had done for him. He was strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit to teach and to preach. And of course, this confounded, this confused the Jews, those that had heard him, they are thinking to themselves, this is the guy who came to persecute these Christ followers. This is the guy who wanted to murder the Christians and now he's proclaiming him just like his master. They tried to kill him. They wanted him dead for what he was saying about Jesus. Do you remember Jesus' words to Ananias, the one who would visit him and care for him, prayed for him, was there when he received the power of the Holy Spirit? Ananias didn't want to go visit Saul. He knew that he was there to kill him. He believed that he would lose his life if he went. But God said to him, Jesus said to Ananias, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Suffering very much a part of the Christian life. In the same way Jesus promised his disciples, if they persecute me, if they hate me, why would you think they're going to do something to your master and not do it to you? We just need to get comfortable and realize that, yes, this life is suffering, but the The purpose, the hope of this text is that in the midst of that suffering, in the midst of those trials, in the midst of even being persecuted and people wanting to kill Saul, the Holy Spirit continued to do his work. And yes, the circumstances looked bleak, but God had a great purpose. And I hope that that would encourage us all as we face various trials and circumstances that seem challenging and hard, that we might be encouraged to keep pressing on and to keep boldly proclaiming who Jesus is and what he has done. We just see here in Damascus, the Jews in Damascus, they want to kill Saul and so Saul has to escape in the middle of the night. He's let down through a hole in the wall and departs from Damascus. It then says that he travels back to Jerusalem. God informs Saul of this plot to kill him. He did not let him die because his purposes for Saul weren't over. And so he sends him to Jerusalem. Once again, he comes to Jerusalem. You think he was probably expecting a welcome party, right? He's home. He's back in his home city. He's back where they sent him out from. No, what does it say? And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. They didn't yet believe what Jesus had done. They didn't believe that this man who was so angry and so evil and so hard against Christians could have been converted. They believed that man was too far from Jesus. Some of us believe that there's someone in your life, even today, that you believe is too far from Jesus and you've given up all hope. And if they called you on the phone today and said, I know Jesus, I met Jesus today, you'd say, nah, I don't believe it. You wouldn't trust it. I wanna encourage you, there's no one who is too far from Jesus. Again, let my testimony and the testimony of so many people in this room be a testimony to you that it doesn't matter where you are, that Jesus, his, his reach does not, can't be outrun. You cannot be too far from Jesus. There's hope for all if we would believe. So believe that even for your friends that you might be thinking of right now, thinking, I don't know how Jesus could save them. I guarantee you the disciples in Jerusalem, their exact thoughts were, Surely God has done something wrong. Surely this is not exactly the plan. Saul returns to Jerusalem. It's been three years, by the way, of him preaching Jesus in Damascus. And yet still, there's this fear of him left in Jerusalem. Remember, the word about him had, gotten, had arrived in Damascus even before he got there. They were afraid. Ananias knew of him somehow. And yet for some reason it hadn't gotten kind of reversed, that hadn't happened, this preaching and all of the boldness and the life that Saul was leaving hadn't come back to Jerusalem and so they were still fearful. Saul found himself unwanted in Damascus, threatened for his life. Now he comes to Jerusalem, the disciples won't receive him and even those other Jews that he's about to preach, they're also going to want to kill him. Saul is alone, he's an enemy of all, but... We hear this word about Barnabas. It says in verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul, I'm sure I can only imagine how lonely he felt in these moments. He's seen Jesus completely turn his life upside down. He's understanding, he's growing in his faith. He's being strengthened in the power of the spirit to know what Christ has done, to be able to preach Christ to those who are far off from him. And yet when he comes home to Jerusalem, he's an outcast. But Jesus would be with him in the same way, friends, that Jesus is with you even when you are feeling completely alone, when you feel like an outcast. Jesus had promised his disciples in the same way that God had promised his people throughout Scripture, Old Testament and new. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, that I am with you always to the end of the age. There's no space and time where I won't be with you, Jesus promises. Deuteronomy 31 tells, God says to his people, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord God who goes with you. What does he say? He will not leave you or forsake you. We've got to believe that Saul in this moment is holding on to those promises. And Barnabas comes along as a messenger from God to encourage him, to strengthen him, to spur him on. And he, he advocates for Saul with the other apostles. He says, no, 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 let me tell you, I know what God has done in this man's life. Let me encourage him." what an encouragement that must have been to Saul, to hear that word, to hear Barnabas. Again, more than likely at this moment in time, a stranger to him. Friends, we need encouragement. You've heard me quote Pastor Ray Ortland many times in this church. He says, no one ever died of over-encouragement. That's a true statement. No one ever died of over-encouragement. You think you're being too encouraging? You cannot be too encouraging to your friends, to your family members. What a gift this church is. What a gift so many people are in my life. You've heard me talk about friends that have encouraged me. I talked about, in, I was on sabbatical last year, before Matt went on sabbatical. You remember how I introduced some of you who were with us, Pastor Matt, who came and preached? I said he's one of the most encouraging friends in my life. I think about our staff that encourages me all the time and, and, and lifts me up. I think about Aaron and Holly. I just, I just talked about them, that they're great encouragement to me. The word that I use to describe all of these people is that they are encouragement. They, they fan the flame of my faith and they strengthen me. You don't know when God is using you as a Barnabas to encourage someone. I can't tell you how many times just this week on our prayer night, Thursday evening, some of you are here with us. And thank you so much. It was a beautiful evening together where we prayed and just lifted up so many things. But one of the things that we did was pray for a few pastors in churches. And I just sent them a text and just said, hey, how is it that we we can pray for you tonight? I just want you to know that we're praying for you tonight. I I want you to know that City Church is remembering you today. And the response by almost every single one of them was uniform. Thank you for that encouragement. You don't know how important it was for me to receive this from you. I had no idea what was going on. I just put a list of names that God put on my heart and said, let's pray for these three or four ministry partners and pastors. And that's what we prayed for. And they needed that encouragement in that exact moment because God knows they needed it. Be faithful, be Barnabas to one another, encourage one another. This is the beauty again of the church. God's word tells us to not forsake the gathering of the saints. That's not some legalistic way of God twisting your arm and saying, you better be at church on Sunday. You should be at church on Sunday. But let me tell you, it's not to appease God. It's because I need you and you need me. We need one another. He gives us this place, this people to encourage each other, to speak truth to one another, to just spur one another on. Our fight clubs, if you don't know what that is? It's small groups of believers, three or four, gathering together, focused on, intentionally, Studying God's word. You'll learn a lot more about that when Pastor Jonathan comes. He wrote the book on it, Gospel Centered Discipleship, all right? But that's how we do small groups here at City Church. Why do we do that? So that three or four people can come together and can encourage one another, can spur each other on. We need that. That's what Barnabas was used by God to do was to encourage Saul and to stand with him when everyone else had let him go. And so Saul is accepted by the apostles. And it says of him that he then, in verse 28, went in and out among them at Jerusalem and what does he continue to do? Doesn't go on a bunch of other things, doesn't say anything else, he just says that he preached boldly in the name of the Lord. He preached Jesus. Here's the amazing thing, as he's preaching Jesus, guess what happens? This dispute about Jesus comes up as it always does. Is he who he said he was? Is he the Messiah? Well, look who's disputing with him in verse 29. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. So much so that it says they began to seek his own life, to seek out, to kill him. Do you remember when we met the Hellenists? Some of you remember this. You got to go back to Acts chapter 7. We have a podcast. All of these sermons are on the podcast. You can catch up at any time. You've got a journey this week, this summer. Just catch up. There's hours of listening. I promise you'll fall asleep, all right? <laughs> but stay awake for Acts chapter 7, where we met Stephen. Stephen and Philip and these Hellenistic followers of Jesus, these Greek-speaking Jews. Jews who had been outcast by the Aramaic-speaking Jews, they're converted and they are appointed as the first deacons in the church to go serve and care for the Hellenistic community, specifically the widows of the Hellenistic Christian community. But there are this this group of Hellenistic Jews that are disputing with them who still deny who Jesus is. And Stephen preaches against them, so much so that they get so angry that they stone him to death. They stone Stephen to death. They come against him and they take up stones and they kill Stephen. And as, Jesus is, or as Stephen is looking up into the heavens, he looks to Jesus' face and he is received by Jesus for boldly proclaiming his name to these Hellenists. And he's de- he is killed. And you know, in Acts 8, chapter one, where we ended that teaching, this is what Acts 8, chapter one says. And Saul approved of his execution. Saul is there approving of the execution of Stephen who is disputing with the Hellenists and proclaiming Jesus to the Hellenists. And then what does God do with Saul? He sends him right back to Jerusalem to pick up where Stephen left off. Do you think that God has a plan for his church? Do you think that Jesus is going to accomplish exactly what he intends to accomplish? He said, I will make you my witnesses, my disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And here, Stephen is welcomed home by Jesus. And a few years later, God sends Saul right back up and says, the guy that you stood over his execution, you're now going to preach that same Jesus to them. You're going to continue the work of your brother Stephen until you meet him face to face. That is the God of the universe who is building his church and is still at work even today. I hope you're encouraged by that, friends. We can't get in the way of God doing what he intends to do. We can be used by God. We can enjoy all the joy of being used by God, of preaching Jesus and talking about Jesus. He will do it. We don't have to fret. I've told you about my friend Elliot. He's the one who gave me that painting of Saul. He says to me, he reminds me often. He says, Ryan, sometimes I worry, buddy. You're more anxious about the church than Jesus is. As a pastor, that's one of the things that keeps me up at night. How are we doing? How are we making disciples? How are we growing? How are we being faithful? And all the work that goes into making all of these things happen and just trying to shepherd and care and lead well. But I need to remember, we all need to remember that Jesus is building his church. We can't stop it. He will do it. We don't have to be anxious. And this is what the testimony that Luke gives us at the end of this story. Look, What it says again in verse 31, I'm almost done, I know I'm late. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The church in this time in history, yes, this is history, but it's not just a biography about Saul, it's not just history for us to sort of look at and not understand. The church in this time in history has experienced great persecution, but the persecution that started with Stephen stoning, God used to then scatter the disciples, to take the witness of the disciples to the ends of the earth, and now it's coming to an end. This season of suffering and persecution is coming to an end, and what the church is experiencing is a peace, a comfort of the Holy Spirit. And Luke records all of this in the way that he does to teach us that this season of peace is not peaceful in the sense of the circumstances are easy. It's not a peace that is without trial. Paul two times is talked about having, our Saul, he's not yet Paul. Saul is, ta- is re- referred to two times just in these brief ch- uh, uh, verses of having to flee for his life, people wanting to kill him. But the church, it says, has strength and a peace that passes all understanding because that peace comes from the comforter the Holy Spirit. Notice what it says about the church. The church had peace and was being built up. And why? Because they were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It's When the church lives in fear of the Lord, in awe of his holiness that we sang about, with reverence, Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we're going to live wisely in the world, it will be with a reverence and an awe for God. And when we do that, when the church has that awe, has that reverence, yes, there is this multiplication that will happen. There is this peace that will come. And in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, look what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit in John 14 when he said he promised to give the helper He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and when I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that's the Holy Spirit, that's why helper is capitalized there, to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, the world won't see it. The world can't receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. Why? Because when I send him, he will dwell in you. That is the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling presence of God himself with us. And that comfort and that reverence and that awe and that fear and walking with God will lead the church to multiply. We will be faithful. We will be seen. God will continue to use us. I think of Aaron and Holly, again, who are here with us. Their their day job is not leading worship. Their day job is leading our ministry partner, Hope Women's Center. Hope Women's Center is a crisis pregnancy that stands in the gap. They minister to young women. I shouldn't say young women really anymore, just all women who are facing a crisis pregnancy or perhaps who have an abortion in their past or something like that, any of those things. And they can tell you a lot more about it. They've been here many times to talk about their ministry, but it's a beautiful, amazing I can promise you their ministry in their life every single day, they're on the front lines of some of the darkest things that this world has to offer. How can they have peace? How can they sing of the holiness of God? How can they worship all this when they see the circumstances of the brokenness that this world brings? Because they have the Holy Spirit indwelling them and their life is anchored to the word of God. I know that to be their testimony, so I can just tell you for them. That's what spurs them on at least one of the things, along with faithful friends like you that encourage them and pray for them and strengthen them. Your lives, there are circumstances that I imagine are really hard. Life is not going to be easy when we follow Jesus. But we see the church multiplying. There's a reason that we're adding all this dirt. I don't know if y'all noticed the extra parking lots to make more room because our church is multiplying. And the reason, if there's any reason, it's not because of any of us, is because Jesus has seen fit to build his church as we faithfully strive to walk in the fear and the awe of the Lord built on this word alone as the authority and sufficient word of God and with the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Friends, life isn't going to be easy. There are going to be circumstances. There are going to be hard. There are going to be people who want to kill you, perhaps, for your faith one day. It's much more Oppenheimer and not Barbie, all right? <laughs> Everything is not pink and sunshine and roses and butterflies. It's much more like nuclear war every single day, Right? Those things that come against us are hard. There's real trials, and you know those personal things even more than I could never know for you. And I have the same things even this week. I just tell you, there's been a number of things where pastorally I'm like, man, I messed that up. I didn't do that right. I I wish that would have been different. I wish I could have handled this situation differently. In all those things, there's trials, but the church multiplied, not because the circumstances were easy. But the church multiplied because it lived, trusting in the Lord, living for the Lord, with its eyes wholly fixed on Jesus. Aaron and Holly are gonna lead us. We're gonna sing that song again. The High King, Jesus. The church's eyes fixed on Jesus. I just wanna encourage you. The circumstances are challenging. It might feel like you're completely alone like Saul today. It might feel like everything in in life is coming against you. Would you just fix your eyes on Jesus? As we sing this song, would you just fix your eyes on the one who is sovereign over it all? And would you let the peace of the Holy Spirit fill you? That's my prayer. That's what I hope that we might be able to do in this last song together. Just reflect on who Jesus is his victory, his strength, right. his power, his wisdom, even in the face of whatever it might be going on in your life. And again, if you don't know who Jesus is, if all he is to you is some religious name that you've heard talked about by your grandma at one point or another, let me just invite you. I plead with you. Believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he is what this book says of him. He is the one who laid down his life to atone for the sins of all the world, my sins included, your sins as well. As Holly read earlier, after laying down his life three days later, he took his life up again. And where we began in the beginning of this study in Acts chapter one, he ascended to the right hand of the father. And do you know what he did when he went to the father? Hebrews 10, verse 12 says, he sat down. There's no more atonement that can be done or need be done. All that must be done is for you to believe that that Jesus is the son of God who came to redeem your life. So as we sing, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you help us to all believe? Help us to fix our eyes on you, we pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9:30 and 11 a.m. and we look forward to meeting you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God, the good of the city and the hope of the world. Oh, you say